Welcome to the Converge Community Church Podcast, where we provide for you the previous Sunday morning sermon. And now without further ado, may the Holy Spirit minister to your heart as you hear the preaching of God's Word. Dan, thank you. Worship team, thank you for leading us in worship this morning. Celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. And that's, that's what we're doing here now, right? We're, we are gathering together this morning to celebrate the most significant event that has transpired throughout all of history. The resurrection of Jesus, the Son of God. And a few days ago, we... A few days ago, we reflected on his death, a death that brought about forgiveness, a death that atoned for the sins of men, a death that reconciled a people to their creator. However, the death of Jesus would not mean anything if it were not for the resurrection. No forgiveness, no atonement, no reconciliation. Paul states this in his letter to the, first, uh, to the Corinthians. He says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. And Paul is simply saying that the crucifixion of Jesus would not have brought about the forgiveness of sins if he remained in the grave. Death would still reign and we would have to face the wrath of God. But it was by the resurrection that God stamped his approval on the atoning sacrifice of Jesus. It was through the resurrection that death was defeated. So this morning, we're going we're gonna to focus on the importance of the resurrection by looking at three truths found in the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 19 through 30. So if you have your Bibles, feel free to open to that passage. John, chapter 20, verses 19 through 30. Before I read this passage for us, let me give you uh, the background of this passage, uh, the, set the scene for us. There are many accounts recorded in the Gospels of what took place three days after Jesus was buried. And so we know the story of Mary Magdalene, who gets up early in the morning before the sun has risen, and she goes out to the tomb, and she sees that the stone has been rolled away. She kind of peeks inside. There is no body. She runs back to the disciples. She she tells them they've taken, they've taken our Lord. He is gone. He is not in the tomb. Peter and John start racing towards the tomb. They get there. They, they go inside, and they see the linen cloths wrapped up and folded up, placed nicely in the tomb, and the scriptures say, the gospels say that Peter walks away astounded, amazed, full of wonder. What in the world is going on? What has happened to Jesus? 
Then later, Mary Magdalene, she goes back to the tomb. She wants to take a second look. And as she's there peering into the tomb, Jesus appears to her. Mary sees the risen Christ. She goes back to tell the disciples. But at the same time, or in, in the same uh, time, these two disciples leave and go back home. And so they didn't hear about Mary's story of seeing the risen Christ, but they're, they're walking to their home and they're talking about the missing body and the tomb being empty, and they're trying to figure out what is going on, and all of a sudden, Jesus appears to them. So we have two different appearances, Jesus. But everything changes for the disciples that evening when Jesus appears to them. As they were locked in a room, and it was because they were afraid of the Jews, Locked in this room, Jesus comes to them and he stands in their midst and he shows them his hands and he shows them his side and he gives a blessing to them. However, there is one disciple who wasn't there. He was missing. And we're going to look at this event, this encounter that takes place. These encounters, it was one with the disciples, and then later it's going to be with the disciples and with this disciple named Thomas. These encounters are important because they inform us of several biblical truths. And this morning, I want to point out three of them. So number one, the resurrection is central for a new mission. Number two, the resurrection established the coming of the Holy Spirit. And number three, that the resurrection witnessed by the disciples is the basis for biblical faith. So hopefully I'll unpack these for us as we walk through John chapter 20. But first, let's read this. Um, if you would stand with me, I'll read it out loud. You can follow along. And of course, we, we stand just in honor of the word of God. So let's stand together and I'll read John chapter 20, verses 19 through 30. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness for any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, 
unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we we look at this passage, Lord, as we reflect upon the importance of the resurrection, Lord, I pray that you would speak, that we would, that we would grasp how amazing, how wonderful the truth is that Jesus rose from the grave. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. All right, so let's look at this first truth about the resurrection. Number one, that the resurrection is central for a new mission. Remember, the disciples were locked in this room. They're hiding out. They're afraid of the Jews. And Jesus appears to them. And and in verse 21, Jesus says to them, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, Even so, I am sending you. And so the question is, is what is Jesus sending them to do? What is the mission? And he compares it to his mission. Why why was he sent out? What was he to do as his mission? And the mission is to preach the gospel, to preach the good news. If you recall in our series in Matthew, Go back to chapter 4, where Jesus starts his ministry. It it revolves around preaching a message. What is that message? To repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. That was his message. But now Jesus sends out the disciples, and and we're going to see that the message has, has changed. And I would suggest that it's still the same message, it's just more specific, because now there is no doubt who the king is and how he established his kingdom. The king was standing in front of the disciples. He has risen from the grave, and his reign is about to begin. So the good news is communicated differently now. It's It's not repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. That was the message before the resurrection. 
Now, after the resurrection, the message is, Jesus died for your sins, and three days later, he rose from the grave. A great example of this is Peter's first sermon after Jesus rose from the grave. It's described this way in Acts chapter 2. Peter is standing before all these men and women, a huge crowd, and he says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. So Peter is saying, hey, look, you have seen Jesus in ministry. You have seen him do these mighty works and wonders and signs. And these are proofs that Jesus is who he says he is. He's proven it through these miraculous works. And now Jesus delivered up according, this is in verse 23, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed. So you have witnessed these things that he's done, but instead of believing, you've, you've killed him by the hands of lawless men and God raised him up loosening the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And so this gospel message that Jesus is sending out his his apostles to proclaim is this, is that this man was crucified and God raised him up. Notice also that Peter tells them what this resurrection accomplished. It loosened the pangs of death. So if you remember that the wages of sin is death. And if you go back to Genesis with Adam and Eve, remember that God comes to him and he says, do not eat from this tree because when you eat from this tree, you will surely die. From that time forward, Death reigned. Death reigned. But the resurrection of Jesus brought its reign to an end. The kingdom of sin and death has been toppled, and the kingdom of God has been established. Amen? So the Apostle Paul also was sent out with the same mission, and the Apostle Paul preached the gospel of Jesus. And we find this in 1 Corinthians. He says this, Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, this good news that I proclaimed to you, which you've received, in which you stand, by which you are being saved. I love how he says that. This is good news that you have received. It's, it's what you stand in, and it's, it's continually making you saved. This is a progression. It's, it's a continuous act. It's almost as if he's saying this message you must, you must continually receive and continually stand in. Don't, don't walk away from it. 
Don't let it go. In fact, I think he says, hold fast to it. All right, so let me continue on. He says, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Now he's going to kind of repeat this. He's going to explain this gospel. He says, for I delivered to you as of first importance. This is the priority. This is the gospel. What I also received, and that is that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. That Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, and three days later was raised from the grave. That is the gospel. That is the good news. That is the message that Paul is preaching and proclaiming. That is the mission. I love how Paul says, it's not only what I am speaking, but you know what? The, script, the scriptures speak it as well. This is in accordance with the scriptures. What was, were, what was the scriptures back then that Paul is referring to? It was the Old Testament. The, the Old Testament, the prophets and the law proclaim the death and resurrection as well in accordance with the scriptures. And so this gospel message, the disciples are called to preach to the world. And it's the gospel that we are to preach as well. He is risen, which means we can now obtain eternal life. This is the message we must preach to ourselves. We must receive it. We must stand in it. And it's the gospel message that the world needs to hear. It's our only hope, and it's the only hope for the world. Friends, there is no other message that can bring hope. No government, no policy, no man or woman in office, no political party, no war, no victory, no social change, no medical achievement, no medication can bring hope. Our hope resides in the death and resurrection of Jesus alone. And so the resurrection is central for our for this new mission, our mission to proclaim the death and resurrection of Jesus. So that's number one, the important truth about the resurrection. Here's number two, that the resurrection established the coming of the Holy Spirit. Again, in verse 21, it says, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you, Here's verse 22. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. I love it that Jesus, how, how Jesus teaches. He uses physical materials. He, he uses movements and actions to remind us of spiritual truths. And so we, he used uh, bread and wine 
to remind us of, of the death and resurrection. He curses a fig tree that wasn't producing figs to teach his disciples a lesson. He, this was last week, I, we, we heard about this, where he talks about his authority or teaches about his authority over sin by healing a paralytic. He uses these physical things to teach spiritual truths. And here, Jesus breathes upon them. And this is a beautiful picture that should remind us of the creation story where God made man out of dust and then he breathed life into them. And in the similar way, Jesus is breathing spiritual life into his disciples. He's imparting to them the Holy Spirit. And with that, there's this wonderful truth that, that by imparting the, the Holy Spirit to them, he is imparting to them eternal life. Several weeks ago, I had the honor of teaching uh, the youth group on a Monday night, and we were talking about the woman at the well. The woman at the well, Jesus goes to this well and he meets a woman there and he gets into this conversation with her and the topic was living water. He said, if you knew who I was, you would ask of me and I would give you this living water. And she's wonderful. Give me this living water. I mean, who, who would want living water? Yeah, anyone? Anyone want living water? We would want this living water, and so did this woman. She said, give me this living water. And they have this conversation, and it gets to the point, she doesn't quite understand what he's talking about, but through this conversation, it's starting to be revealed to her who this man is. And at one point, she asks him a question. She goes, okay, you're, you're more than just a teacher, she, at this point, she thinks he's a prophet of God. And so she asks this question, where do we worship then? You Jews, she was a Samaritan woman. So she says, you Jews, you worship at this temple. We worship on this mountain. Where do we worship? Basically, what she's asking is, where is God? Because that's where you worship. Wherever God is, that's where you go to worship. So where is God that I might go and worship him? Tell me, prophet. And I love how Jesus responds to this. Because he's responding and he's, he's informing her about a time that's going to come when the Spirit's going to come. He says this, John chapter 4, verse 23 the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. He said, in the future, and it's about ready to come, where it's going to be different. True worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. Now, later... 
this gets unpacked. John unpacks this for us. And this is the words of Jesus. This is John chapter 7. Jesus makes this proclamation. He says, whoever believes in me, as the scriptures has said, out of his heart. So, so whoever believes in Jesus, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. He's going back to this illustration of living water. And now what's, what's really neat here is John is going to give some commentary. He's going to unpack for us what this means, this living water. Verse 39, now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because why? Jesus had not yet been glorified. See, that was back in chapter 7. Now we jump to our passage. We jump to this time when Jesus is standing before his disciples, this is after the resurrection. Jesus breathes upon his disciples and commands them to receive the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit is a promise given to those who believe in Christ. It's the first, it's first given to the disciples. They witness Jesus crucified. And now he's standing right in front of them. They witness Jesus' nail-pierced hands and his pierced sides. He, he should be dead. And there he is, standing before them. The disciples believed. And not too long after this event, the Holy Spirit will come upon them with power and the church will be born. If it were not for the resurrection, the Holy Spirit would not have come. We would still be searching for a temple or a mountain to worship him. But Jesus did rise from the grave, and the Holy Spirit now indwells within his people. And so now we worship him. We we don't go to the temple. We take the temple with us. This, this building, this room that we call a sanctuary, when it is empty, that's not where God dwells. He goes with his people. It is when we fill this room, that's when God dwells here. Amen? The resurrection is central for a new mission. And the resurrection also established the coming of the Holy Spirit. And here's number three. The resurrection witnessed by the disciples is the basis for biblical faith. Okay, so the, G the disciples, they experience Jesus in front of them. He he breathes upon them. He, he's calling them to be sent out. But there was a disciple missing. Who knows where this disciple was? Maybe he was, you know, uh, running errands for the, for the other disciples. But he is missing. He is missing out. Do you guys ever hear that, uh, 
the word FOMO, right? Fear of missing out. This is like the epitome of it right now, right? I mean, he is definitely missing out. Thomas makes his way back. The disciples, they, they tell him that they've seen the Lord. Yes, Jesus, the one that was arrested, the one that was sacrificed, the one that is dead, the one that was buried. Yeah, we have seen him. So how would you respond? If you were Thomas and you, you go back to the disciples and they start, they start saying with, with great enthusiasm, we have seen the Lord. How would you respond? Would you believe the disciples? Now, I guess it kind of depends on what you, who you think the disciples are, right? So I, I'm going to share, I'm going to share this with you. And that's because my wife is not in the room, <laughs> but my, uh, Kara has this amazing ability to make us, as even the kids, make us believe things that are not true, okay? So I'm going to give, I'll give you an example. Now this, I don't think she's actually said this one, but this is the best one I can came up with. It would be like she would go to one of our daughters and, and, and ask a question like this. So who was the guy you were talking to last night at youth group? And she would say it like it actually happened. She doesn't know that happened, but she's, she's trying to see if anything happened, right? She's trying to, and so like one of the daughters would be like, oh, how did you know, right? But she is, she is totally lying. She has no clue. And she, she's, she does this all the time uh, with me and, and often I fall for it. I think the kids sometimes fall for it, but she's just really good at that kind of thing. And so, so maybe one or more of the disciples are like that, right? They're like, hey, let's, let's see how Thomas is going to respond. We have seen the Lord. So how would you respond? Whatever reason it was, Thomas did not believe them. And it says this, Thomas in verse 25, he says, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the marks of those nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Wow. That is a bold statement. That's the only way that you will be convinced? I think Thomas is in dangerous territory, setting up his own condition for believing. He is refusing to accept any other evidence that Jesus rose from the grave. And so let's, let's take a step back for a moment. What would be some other reasons for Thomas to believe? Remember, Thomas was a disciple he was with Jesus for three years. He witnessed mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through Jesus. Thomas saw water turn to wine. He saw Jesus walk on water. He saw people being healed and demons being cast out. All these miracles. 
were to show that Jesus was the Son of God. And so that's, that's number one. Here's one reason why Thomas should believe that he witnessed the mighty works and wonders and signs that God did. Here's a second one, that Thomas witnessed Jesus's authority over all creation. So I've talked about this many times through our series in Matthew, because through it, Matthew tells us how people were astounded by Jesus's authority when he taught, when he healed the sick, when he cast out demons, even when he forgave sins. Talks about how he had authority over all these things, even sins. But most importantly, he exhibited his authority over death. So in the Gospel of John, we, we read this story about Lazarus. Jesus gets word that Lazarus is sick. And he actually takes his time going to Lazarus. He delayed, and finally when he gets there, they, they found out that Lazarus had been dead for four days. And so Jesus has them roll away the, tomb, the, the stone in front of the tomb where Lazarus was buried. And John chapter 11 says this, Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around. Why is he saying this? That they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, three words, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And so by a word, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead and Thomas was there to witness it. He was there for it all, all the miracles. Thomas knew Jesus had authority over all creation, even over death. third reason why, G why Thomas should have believed. Number three, Jesus predicted his own death and resurrection. So there is this uh, moment where Jesus is walking with his disciples and he turns to them and he says, hey, who do the people say that I am? After all these miracles, after all the teaching, who do the people say that I am? And Peter responds. You know, it's Peter that always has the first answer, isn't it? Peter says, well, some say Isaiah the prophet. Some say Jeremiah. Some say John the Baptist. And there's some other people that say that you're some other prophet. Jesus is like, okay. Then he says, who do you say that I am? And this is where Jesus, uh, Peter gives this confession, right? He says, listen, we know you are the son of the living God. And Jesus is like, yep. 
You're right. He says, blessed are you because that, that has been revealed to you by the Father. And then this is what's really interesting about that. After that, compa- uh, that confession, Matthew says this. This is Matthew chapter 16. It says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Jesus began to show. So this isn't just some one-time thing. He doesn't just mention this in passing one time, one night, when they're all tired and you know, they're, they're not listening very well. No, he's, he's throughout the rest of the time as they're journeying to Jerusalem, he's describing for them and showing them how, how he must die and three days later rise again. Jesus talks about this. Thomas was there. Thomas heard these things. So that's number three, why Thomas should have believed. Here's number four, reason number four. And that is there's no good reason for all the disciples to lie to him. There's no good reason for all the disciples to lie. Think about it. Here they are fearing for their lives. Their rabbi just died. It would have been cruel to make something up like that. Think about it. They are in pain. They are suffering. They are mourning the loss of Jesus. So here's the thing. You may be able to discount one of the four reasons why Thomas should believe. But if you, if you think of all those and put them all together, I think that should have convinced Thomas. But even with all that, with all that time that he spent with Jesus, with, with, no, with knowing that Jesus predicted this, by knowing his friends, his disciples that have walked along beside him, he refused to believe. I will never believe till I put my hands in his wounds. Here's where I think is where it gets good. This is, this is where, what I find humorous about this. Because eight days later, right? He gives, he gives Thomas eight days to kind of reflect and stew over this, right? I don't know what was going on in the mind of Thomas during that time. But eight days later, this is, Verse 26, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. I love that he says the same thing. He drops in again. He says, peace be with you. I'm wondering if that time, that's when Thomas like turns. Wait a minute, what? Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, hey, Put your fingers here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. You know, what's interesting is 
Jesus must have overheard those conversations with Thomas and the disciples before, even though he wasn't present there physically. It was like he was listening in. He might have been like listening at the door that was locked, right? As Thomas comes in and, and they're talking about, about these things. And, and he heard Thomas say this, I won't believe until I place my fingers in his hands, in his wounds. So Jesus says, hey, here I am. Come, touch the wounds. I love Thomas's response. He doesn't, uh, John doesn't say that he actually goes and actually touches him, right? Thomas doesn't need that anymore. Jesus is standing right in front of him. And so Thomas's response is, my Lord and my God, that's it. That's all that he had to say. That's all that he could say. So I love this. He, Jesus calls him out. And now Thomas believes. And here's Jesus' response to that. After Thomas's confession, verse 29, Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And so Jesus is saying here that it is proper and good to believe without having to actually see the risen Christ. You know, today in our society, in our culture, we think that the only way to believe something or, or that something is true is through science, right? We, we hear this all the time. We say, believe the science or follow the science, or sometimes we hear the phrase, science says. But here's what's interesting is that science doesn't say anything because science doesn't speak. Scientists say things. People who practice science or the scientific method, they, they come up with truths about the material world. They test and they see the results and then they turn around and they communicate them. They proclaim what they have found, what they have seen, what they have witnessed. So the question is, do we trust in the eyewitness testimony? It's other people who did the work. They were the ones who witnessed the results. Do we trust in what they say? I think a lot about this because, you know, like I said, we, we hear these phrases like, like science has authority or if someone speaks and says, in the name of science, this is true. And because they say it in that way, we're supposed to go, oh, okay. Well, if science says, science is not saying it. The one that's in front of you is saying that. And then the question is, is do you believe who's saying it or not? Are they trustworthy? So in the same way, do we trust in those who witnessed the risen Christ? 
there are witnesses to the risen Christ. They've gone out and proclaimed that he is risen from the grave. Do we believe their testimony? So I love how John ends this. Verse 30, he says it like this. This is after he, he mentions Jesus, right? When Jesus says, blessed are those who have not seen. So it's not by sight. Why do we believe? It's not by seeing him physically there. But this is how John is calling us to believe. Verse 30, he says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of of the disciples. The disciples are witnesses of this. And these other signs are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So you've heard the saying, seeing is believing. John is saying, hearing is believing, and reading is believing. You see, the apostles were sent out as witnesses to give testimony to the death and resurrection of Jesus. And John wrote these things down so that we can read them and believe. And there are many other witnesses as well. We have Matthew that gives testimony. We have Mark that gives testimony. We have Luke. We have Paul. We have Peter who have witnessed these things and have written them down and we have them. They have been copied. They have been maintained for us today. So do we believe these witnesses who recorded these events in the scriptures? Friends, Jesus performed all kinds of miracles. He demonstrated his authority over all creation. He predicted his own death and resurrection, and he was seen by hundreds of people after he rose from the grave. All these things have been recorded for us so that we too can believe and receive eternal life. And so blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. May we be blessed. May we today be blessed in believing. So let me end with this, with a time of reflection. And I would uh, just want to invite the worship team to come up. Dan, uh, feel free to kind of play for a little bit as I read these questions. They'll be up on the screen as well. I encourage you to write them down and even just spend a few moments in reflection and then I'll pray. But here are the questions. Question number one, how does Jesus want you to live knowing that he rose from the grave? How does he want you to live out your life with you knowing that he rose from the grave. I'm afraid that to give you more, 
with that question, but I just, you know, I think about fear in my own life. If I knew that Jesus really rose from the grave, how could fear be long in my life? Here's the second question. How should you, how should your day look? How should your day look knowing that the Holy Spirit now dwells in you? How should your day look knowing that the Holy Spirit now dwells in you? And here's another one. You know, I know that there's many that might be visiting this morning and Maybe you haven't received Christ. Maybe you haven't believed in his death and resurrection. And so the question is, is do you believe that Jesus died and rose from the grave? And are there unrealistic conditions you have placed in order to disbelieve? Sorry, that's written wrong. But are there unrealistic conditions you have placed in order not to believe? And why do you think you came up with those conditions? Because I think a lot of times we refuse to believe and we, and we put up these walls and it's because there is something deeper inside of us that makes us reluctant to believe. So what are those barriers? With that, let me, let's just spend a moment in reflection and then I'll close our time of prayer with prayer. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge to you now that we have great hope because of what Jesus Christ has done. That by his death, you have forgiven our sin And it was through the resurrection of Jesus that death has been defeated. We now have eternal life. We have the Spirit of God indwelling within us because Jesus rose from the grave. Lord, it's this day, this beautiful day that you've given us that we, we reflect on that truth I pray, Lord, that you would give us the faith to believe that we too may have eternal life. Lord, thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. Make sure you come back next week to hear the next message in our series.